0: Is not a debut novelist, but like myself, um, an old pro in the field. He's also the winner of the world, uh, the British Fantasy Award. And but I don't know what he's, um, I don't know what this book is. But I know it's by your uh, pseudonym. It's my alter ego. It's my other hat. His other half is is going to read. Uh, let me introduce Chas Brenchlow. Okay, um, tonight I am Daniel Fox, um, and perversely, I'm going to read from Volume 2 of a series of which you really need to re- vo- read Volume One first. It is obligatory. Um, volume 1 is called Dragon in Chains, and I would at this point ordinarily hold up a copy so that you could see what it looked like, but we don't have any. Um, Border, Borderlands has someone I've just signed them this afternoon, if you want to sign a copy. Um, this is Volume 2, Jade Man's Skin. You will see it has a bright green tiger on the cover. This is the year of the tiger. It's, it's important and it's not, it, it means that I can read this chunk without it being a spoiler. Um, there, are, there are two things. V- volume 1 is called Dragon in Chains. This implies there is a dragon. There is a dragon. Volume two has a tiger on the cover. This implies there is a tiger. There is a tiger. Um, I'm going to read two short chunks. One is about a dragon, and the other is about a tiger. Uh, <laughs> there. What's not to lie? Exactly. <laughs> Nothing has been spoiled. Um, boom, 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 boom. Come, come, come. Where I, there you are. Um, I, do, I'm, I don't think I need to explain who these people are. Um, the text explains it for me, I believe. Um Liton sometimes liked to sit and count his losses. It helped to keep his purpose sharp. It gave a focus to his abiding anger, which might have whittled him down into a sour madness else. It might have let him die as he had lately lived, as a freeboot pirate, scum, which would have been the last and almost the worst of his losses if he had let that happen. He'd lost so much already. He could not, he dared not, lose his immaculate revenge. He had been a boy and hopeful, and lost that. Well, but so did most men. Hope was not a likely survivor in the world. He had been a good soldier, an officer, respected by his men. He had lost that. On his ship now, he ruled by fear largely and bribery a little, as any pirate captain must. He called it discipline, of course. Soldiers, too, lived under discipline, which was not easy but a soldier can always run away. For the most part, his had not. Even as a young man, he had valued that respect and lost it. He had been a man of rank, high rank, known and trusted at the court. He had lost that. Any general's reputation shines only as bright as, as his last battle. Any general can lose a battle for any number of reasons that are not his fault. Leton had lost an impossible battle and depended, perhaps gambled, on the Emperor's justice when he returned to the hidden city. He had lost. He had been a man, a married man, a father. He had been a strong man, a whole man in his pride, marked only by the due scars of his service to the Empire. He'd lost it all. He had seen his wife and women executed, his children too. His own skin he had seen emblazoned, Treachery and cowardice writ large upon him, great black block characters tattooed with heavy needles while he struggled in his chains. He had seen his manhood cut away, not by the skilled blades of the imperial castrators, but the brute hack of an executioner. He might have died. He might have wished to die. He had lost that chance and lost his country too, sent into exile, which meant a low and sordid death on some remote coast, broken and despairing and forgotten. He'd lost his name. He had found, no, he had been found by Jorgen and raised up into something again, some semblance of a man who mattered. He had worked and fought and won himself a ship and a crew, a way to live, eventually a path to vengeance. And now, apparently, he had lost all that. Jorgen was dead, Litton's ship was in the charge of the Emperor's forces. His last unexpected chance to influence the way of the world seemed to be gone, sunk with the rebel's fleet. Also, he was an ageing man, and he had seen a great many terrible and wonderful things. Many of them he simply didn't remember any more. It was his own life, and he was losing the record of it. This, though, this he was determined not to lose, the day the dragon came. She might have been the death of his last hope, but she was a great and an appalling mystery, and he had stood in the stench of her and looked into her eye, and he would not lose that, no. No. The boy Hahn had cut his own chains, willfully, just when Leton was hopeful that he could control the dragon. Because Leton was hopeful, therefore the boy had cut the chains. He should have died for that. Leton had lost count of the number of times that boy should have died and had not, at Leton's own hands most often. He was not a man who spared the weak or the guilty or the treacherous, and yet, for this boy he held his hand again and again. Apparently he was not alone. They were on the forge. Han had cut his chains, the dragon was free. There was nothing they could do but watch. She was like an emperor herself and all this petty world her court, the air her throne because it held her up, the sea her proper queendom because she soared above it. Until she dived when all things were inverted, the sea her throne and the air her queendom because she soared beneath it. Mortal man clung to that transitory skin between and was eaten from above or beneath or was broken, hurled from air to water or was coldly left to perish in the desert vastness of the sea. Oh, she was captivating. Rapture in her liberty, beauty in her skin, deadly in her focus, ferocity in her intent. She destroyed that fleet as Leton might have done himself if he had chosen to, if he had been a dragon. And then, he thought, she came to destroy Han. Leton took his first steps back down the path as soon as he realised that she was coming here. He thought they'd all be following him, tumbling down the slope in a desperate, unavailing flight, but Han croaked at them, not in his usual voice, barely in a voice at all. Tien, all of you, stay close. I'm not leaving you. That was the girl, Tien. You come too. Come now. No. Why, Ron, where would you go? Stay close. The dragon swooped low over the islet, and Han was utterly motionless then, utterly straining. They were wrestling together, the dragon and the boy, on some ground that Liton could neither see nor reach. Liton struggled only to stay upright. She was a dragon. It seemed as impossible to stand as it was impossible to run. What could any mortal doings matter in the face of this, her face? He felt the gaze of her, impersonal and exacting. She looked at him, assessed him, dismissed him. Her frenzy seemed to be over, but he thought she would eat him regardless, sooner or later. She was here for Han. The rest of them were incidental. His doom, their collective doom, came spiralling slowly down from her sky throne to settle on the peak, massive and dreadful, too dreadfully close. One great foot landed squarely on the furnace, where wood and charcoal still glowed furiously hot. She didn't seem to notice. She was of a size to blot out the sun, a temple on a mountain top. She drew awe from them as a temple might and demanded terror as a god might visiting a temple. If those two together were not worship, Litan thought they came sufficiently close. Worship, of course, was not sufficient for her, not today. She overhung them, menacing and beautiful. Unnameable colors shifted on her scales in sunlight in the deep green dark of her eyes. Those eyes were captivating in the worst way. A man could lose himself in that gaze, briefly. Her tail broke trees on the forest slope. He could hear their snapping and the sudden, florid protest of the birds. That made him realise how quiet the world was else. The fire had been a raucous thing, hissing and crackling. With that stamped out, he could hear his own tense breathing. The girls too, and her uncle's. The dragon that was so much larger, that that could contain them all within the hollow of her armpit. He couldn't hear her breath at all. Perhaps she didn't breathe. What would an immortal need with air? No matter. Her mouth held a more immediate interest now. What she would need with food was a question too, but that didn't stop her swallowing men. She reached her long neck down in the reek of her overswept maw, sea sludge, and salt decay. He might have gagged if he hadn't been so enthralled to the moment and to her. Her mouth opened. Her gape was vivid and immense. She had colours in her throat if you could see that far, if you could look past the teeth and tongue. Courage is often pretence. It was still possible to pretend, if only to himself, that he was a courageous man when in truth he was only at the limits of what he could feel. It wasn't him she reached for yet. Perhaps that made it easier. He was impressed with Hahn a little, because the boy still didn't move. He was still fighting her, apparently, or else he had lost all control, all contact with his own body. Perhaps he only wanted her to get on with it, one quick lunge, one snap, and gone. She did lunge. She did snap. She missed him. Her head slammed forward like a snake in its certainty and slid aside like a drunk man's fist that cannot find its aim. She reared back, hissing very like a snake, and the boy stood before her, very small, and said, Don't. Not that. I think you've eaten me already as much as matters. The dragon must have disagreed. She tried again and missed again and was seemingly (coughs) as baffled as Litan. The boy apparently had some control over her, some access to her mind, even with the chains cut. That was strange, but he did still wear the iron cuffs and collar, even if the links hung loose that used to bind them all together. All that iron was etched with characters of control. They must still hold some measure of potency. And the boy was his, his own, and no, the boy was not his. If anything, they were all the dragons. He thought they were talking, the dragon and the boy. He could hear it in the silence between them, in the stillness. He thought perhaps he could hear a promise of safety, for this little time at least, in the slow iron creaking of the dragon's skin as she settled more heavily onto the rock, like a creature intending, not after all, to slay and go. He had attended enough parleys in the field. He could tell when the immediate threat went away and the serious talking began. How do you talk to? How do you parley with a dragon? Leton couldn't imagine what was happening in the boy's head, or in hers. So that's the dragon, <laughs> uh, and this, this is the tiger. Um, just a little bit of tiger. Get your mic up. So that oh, can hear. sorry. There we go. Cool. Um, human feet turn naturally uphill, and here in the mountains, there was always somewhere higher. Sometimes they had to scramble, and that was good. It meant they could stop walking awkwardly beside each other and go single file. Just once, the first time, he turned and crouched and reached down a hand for hers. Old habit, remembered pleasure, yearning, forgetfulness. She was still who she was. He forgot that he had changed, and Xiao was nowhere in his head at just that moment. Xiao must have been still very much in Su Ren's head. His clan cousin didn't move at all for a moment and then very deliberately didn't take his hand. She stretched for a different grip, clambered up another way, came to the top of the boulder and walked on without even looking at him. They walked, they climbed independently and together, and in the end he said, "Suren, if you don't want to talk. Touching was something else, and he knew it, he'd been stupid, unthinking. But if all she meant to do was reject him, stony silence over a cold shoulder, he thought he might go back to the emperor. She spun around, fierce in starlight, and said, "'No, I don't want to talk. I want you to talk. "'I want you to say what's happened to you, what you've done to yourself. "'Look, it's still summer. You haven't been gone so long, "'but you come back someone else in Yushan's skin. "'Hardly his skin, even. Even the way you look is different. "'What have you done?' He opened his mouth to tell her. "'Knowing before he took breath that it was hopeless, a waste of breath, "'he couldn't begin to explain what had happened to him, except for the one thing, The jade beneath his tongue, the little nodule of stone that her own tongue might have found out if they had still been as they were before. But then it didn't matter, because actually she wasn't looking for answers. She wasn't actually looking at him at all anymore. Looking past him rather, staring rather, with an expression he'd never seen or thought to see on her face, hers especially. Of all the women in the world, she was not the one to be utterly awed and utterly frightened. She'd faced the Emperor with hardly a twitch. And these were their own known mountains. There was nothing to terrify her here. Even a war party coming down high over the hill to avoid the watch. She might see the danger, but she wouldn't be afraid. She certainly would not be awed. She wouldn't stand there with her eyes as wide as her mouth, caught in cold silence on a hot night. Besides, he'd heard nothing. Not the scratch of metal on metal, not the hissing whisper of a foot softly laid in grass, not the least hint of anything beyond the normal sounds of the forest in its night. He still didn't. Between the birdsong and the occasional crash of a late monkey in the canopy, the rush and burble of distant water, the soft of wind and his own breathing and si Run's, there was nothing. He was sure. And then he turned and, oh, that was not nothing, no, the opposite of nothing, rather, an entirety, an engulfing. He was vaguely, heedlessly aware of himself stepping back because he dared not stand so close reaching his clan cousin and stopping there because he dared not leave her to stand alone, feeling her take his hand like a promise that he would not leave her, she would prevent it. Fear and awe, yes, caught so perfectly between the two, he had no thought of leaving, any more than he had any thought of going closer. On a rock above their heads, against the twisted shadow of a twisted mountain tree, burned a tiger. It stood as still as they did, only more so, magnificently still, still as the rock beneath its vast paws, except that it was a living, liquid thing, still only because it saw no occasion to move. Jade tigers, they were called, stone tigers sometimes. This one might have been stone itself, true jade, just for that moment, if God or man could have cut jade into an absolute of tiger, the essence of it, sight and touch and power. If he could have touched it... Yushan was sure of harsh fur and a hot body, skin and muscle and bone beneath, the imperative of movement imperiously contained. Its eyes shone. Two chips of jade, exactly the green of the deep-sea stone, exactly the green of the Emperor's eyes and his own. More than that, its fur shone green between the bands of black. It's considered them, seemingly. He thought those eyes saw what he had confessed to nobody, the chip of jade in his mouth. He thought they saw how far the stone had penetrated. He thought the tiger was a jade-eater too, or else it was born in the mountain's heart, born off the stone, jade in its blood from the beginning. He thought he might die from not breathing. Sometimes he wondered if he could die at all, but not now. Now he wondered how he might dare to go on living, having seen, having been seen. The tiger leapt down like moonlight pouring from a jug, a vivid flow, immediate in movement and immediate to halt. When it had landed on the path before them, it was entirely still again. Then its whiskers twitched, it opened its mouth and breathed out. Yushan smelt the deep smell of the mines, jade and dust and air that was sodden with stone. He had missed that. The tiger's eyes said yes, as though something had been understood between them. And then it had turned and was leaving, leaping away and was gone, and its absence was a sudden aching hollow in the world that the night could rush into, rush and rush and never hope to fill. su clung to his arm two-handed like a monkey on a rope. Eventually, because one of them, after all, did have to say something, do something, change the world, or else they would only stand there forever in the same bewildered days, she said, "'Do you, do you think that was an omen?' "'I think it was a message,' she said." "'which might be the same thing if an omen was a message from the gods. "'I just don't know what it means.' "'She nodded, her cheek against his shoulder, "'and they were quiet again, still again. "'Was it even real?' "'It was real. "'See, it left pug marks on the path. "'An enormous spread of paw and striking deep where it had landed, "'so much weight behind it, how could it not be real? "'Yes,' she said, "'and his breath smelt of forest pools with the sun on them. "'But if it came from the gods, that still doesn't mean it's real.' He knew stone tigers were real, even if he'd never seen one before. The mountains were full of stories. He had stroked the fur of a skin, it almost seemed long ago now, in the jade master's palace. Even so, he understood her doubts. If a god were involved, it could be real and real and still not actually exist, not now be padding through the forest with the rumble of hunger in its gut and a weary ache in its bones. He found it hard to imagine, tired. Sleeping, that was hard too. It was either there or it wasn't, he couldn't see it any other way, not vulnerable, turned away from the world, adrift. Hungry wasn't hard at all, he thought it might have swallowed them both quite neatly. If it had done that, well, he thought they would both be really dead, that was real enough for him. He didn't say so quite, only I don't know how to tell the difference between something that's real like we are and something that's real because the gods sent it. The notion itself was unreal, that the gods would send something to him, to them. She had seen it, or at least smelled it, differently. Perhaps it had been two different messages, both equally incomprehensible. At least yuan seemed not to be hating him just now. That would return, no doubt. Her anger had simply ebbed in the face of something infinitely greater, something shared, something for Yushan to be grateful for, except that that seemed like a monumental impertinence. Neither jade tigers nor gods would stoop to interfere with mortals, simply to hush a quarrel or smooth over a betrayal. He assumed not in any case. Perhaps that was impertinent too, and he should just be grateful. Confused, he settled for being in a hurry. She was pulling at his arm, hurrying already. Hurrying back down the hill, back to the Emperor, where he sat with Mei Feng cushioned against him, in the circle of his arm, but not at all asleep anymore. And when they said what they had seen, the Emperor nodded and said, Yes, him too, Mei Feng too. And no, they had no idea what it meant, only that they were both sure that it meant something.